Warriors World Champions. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions. Pitch swinging. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Oh, man. Lean into it. Zegers here. He can Oh, look at this. Oh, he just Welcome to the Catelicast, the number one podcast, in my opinion, that covers your favorite teams linked by Catella Avenue, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Los Angeles Angels. I'm your host, Saimiake. Please follow us on Twitter, at Catelicast Show. Again, that's at Catelicast Show. And please listen, share, download, or review this podcast on all platforms. Five stars only, please. So before I get into the news, latest news regarding the Ducks and the Angels, first of all, I need to complain for a little bit. And ranting and complaining is, in my opinion, what I do best. But before you, you can say, oh, Sai, you're going on another tangent again, blah, blah, blah. No, this affects everybody. Because if you are an Angels fan or if you're a Ducks fan, you watch your game. Well, usually you're, if you're legally watching your games, you're probably going to be watching them on Bally Sports West or Bally Sports SoCal, right? Whichever one. And Bally Sports has just, has just been an epic and colossal failure. I mean, can we say it now? It's been a couple of years. They took over from Fox Sports, and I believe Bally Sports actually bought um, all the rights and all the the broadcasting and the station and everything from Fox a long time ago. It just took them a couple of years to get the full rebrand going, but it, it's it's complete garbage. First of all, you have well, we're not even gonna get into the, the remote broadcast situation yet, but I want to get into the app. The app on the on the phone on the iPhone is terrible. It's Every time you just exit out of the app for five seconds, you have to go back into it and then you have to watch like a 10, 15 second ad. And then half the time, it'll just conk out on you. And then half of the time as well, you can't even, you can't even have it play in the, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like, you know, when you play in, plays like a, a video in the little bottom corner of your phone and then you can go on other apps, which I do that a lot. I go on Twitter, I look at my, I look at fantasy baseball sometimes when I'm watching the game. And then it after five minutes of being in that mode, it'll it'll just it'll just conk out. Where ESPN, uh, other other apps for watching streaming anything has been perfect. But Valley Sports, I don't I don't know what is going on with the app. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. But now I can get into the remote broadcast situation. So. Uh, it was announced before this, before the Angels season that Matt Vaskersian would be calling more games this year, which I'm a fan of. I love Matt Vaskersian. I love Matty V. But for the road games, he probably won't be at the stadium a lot. He'll be doing a remote broadcast from wherever, right? And remote broadcast, okay, it's not 2020. It's not 2021 anymore. If you're if you're going to be having these remote broadcasts, just don't even have Matt Vaskersian. I mean, I really wish Artie Moreno, I wish he loved starting pitching as much as he loved Matt Vaskersian because hey, the Angels would actually have a actually have a half decent team in the last few years. But it is it is just so hard to watch, and you need to you might as well just listen to it on the radio. 
I mean, it is just terrible. You have yeah, Matt Vasgersian and his quote unquote Bally Sports said technical difficulties. Okay, yeah, right, technical difficulties. Like there okay, there might be some, but in this day and age, I mean, it just looks so pathetic. And the Angels already look bad as an overall franchise. And you just look even worse with with the broadcast lagging. And then Matt Vasgersian thinks a foul ball is a home run by Jared Walsh, even though the ball was clearly 50 feet to the right of the foul pole. I mean, I'm, I know we're not used to Jared Walsh hitting home runs to left field, but how could you even confuse that that that, that was a foul ball? And... Some people, I said this on Twitter, and other people said it as well, but it felt just like a, a really laggy MLB The Show game where something happens, and then you'll hear, like, you won't hear anything. There'll be this weird, awkward pause for three seconds, and then you hear Matt Vasgard and say, oh, he got a single, or oh, and he's out at first base, or something, right? Something like that. And it just, it got better a little bit, right? It was a four-game four game road series, and it got a little bit better as the series went on. But the best part is everybody complained about it so much that now I believe, I think Matt Vasgersian and Patty O'Neill are going to call some road games of the Houston series coming up, and they'll actually be at Minute Maid Park. So it's good that they're, they're, getting, they're getting bullied enough and that we won't be, hopefully won't be having this remote broadcast shenanigans for the whole rest of the season because it was the first road series and it was terrible. I knew it was going to be a terrible idea, but you just you need to see the train crash in front of you before you can say, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Anyways, that's my rant about Bally Sports. Fix everything. Get it together. Fox Sports was incredible and pretty much Bally Sports has come up and taken their great thing and just ran into the ground. So hopefully Bally Sports can be better because... I want to be able to watch the Angel games. I want to be able to watch the Ducks games. So get on that, Bally Sports. Get it together. So just like how I started off the last show with the Anaheim Ducks, I'm going to start off with the Anaheim Ducks in this episode. And so what an emotional night it was in Tampa Bay. The Ducks played the Lightning. Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry. The last time those two legends will have played in an NHL game together and it was it was unbelievable. Well, first of all, it's unbelievable seeing Corey Perry in a Tampa Bay Lightning sweater. He just he doesn't look right in any in any other team's jersey. When he was in Dallas, Montreal, Tampa, it, it just doesn't look right. But seeing those two across from each other, uh, they were taking photos. There's a little video of of them too in the in the beginning of the game during warmups, and it was just really sad and just kind of hard to believe that oh my gosh well not only does Corey Perry play on a different team because that's been happening for a while now but this is this is it for Getzloff right this isn't just oh hey uh, you know I'm taking pictures of my best buddy who plays on a different team now like no this is the last time that those two will ever play in the same NHL game so that was crazy and then John Cooper what a class act putting Corey Perry out there on the opening faceoff against Ryan Getzloff, and he free, he won. He beat Getzloff on the faceoff. I don't know. Uh, did Getzloff let him win or something? Because, I mean, Getzloff has Getzloff when he first played was not very great at faceoffs, and then he just over time, right, just with practice, and he's just evolved into a, one of the best uh, best faceoff specialists in the league. And then Corey Perry shows up and beats him in the opening faceoff. So I don't know if he let him win or whatever, but. I'm not going to go too much in detail about that uh, 
game against Tampa Bay. I mean, it was a good thing that they got to overtime. I was pleasantly surprised with that. Tampa Bay is just on another level. Kucherov had that goal disallowed in OT because he was offside, but then eventually I was like, it doesn't matter. Ball don't lie. They're going to score anyway. And sure enough, they scored in OT. But there were just a few like really random moments in there, like uh, Gesloff and Perry were battling out in the corner, and then Corey Perry cross-checked. He gave Gesloff a little cross-check, and part of me just wanted to scream inside. Like That was just so cool to me. And uh, none of them none of them scored. I, re- I really wish they did. My dream scenario in uh, overtime, which I don't think Corey Perry played in, in the overtime, and Getzloff doesn't play much OT for the Ducks as well, but I, what I wish happened is that Getzloff was going up the ice, and then he tries to, he tries to pass to Zegris or Terry or somebody, but it's just a terrible pass, and then Corey Perry just, just intercepts it and then goes in on a breakaway and then scores. <laughs> that would have been right the last time Getzloff to Perry, but for two different, I don't know. I, I thought that would have been incredible, but unfortunately, nothing like that didn't happen. They didn't fight each other or anything, but it was just a really surreal moment. And just once again, thank you to Ryan Getzloff for everything that he's done for the Ducks. I, it's surreal to me that he's retiring. I know it's been about a week now, and I still can't get over it. But I highly, highly encourage you, for all you Ducks fans, please make it out to the next few uh, home games at the Honda Center. We need to send out Ryan Getzloff in the fashion that he deserves the sold out honda center and um, if you can't go to the games the ducks have um, they've attached like a little link which i think is really cool where you can submit like a video of yourself and just thanking ryan getzloff for everything that he's done for the ducks everything he's done for southern california hockey and the community so i'll be submitting a video because unfortunately i won't be able to attend his last home game so i i will i'll attach the link for that where you can send the videos in the uh, link of this podcast so just go down to the go down to the description and then you can just find the link and click on that but i really want to talk about this crazy barn burner of a game well i guess i guess you can call it a barn burner against the columbus blue jackets and for and so it, it was just it was just a wild game uh troy terry i mean who would, who would have thought that troy terry would score 35 goals this year that is that is unbelievable. I tweet as a joke though he'll get to forty goals. No, I legit think there's a good chance he can get to forty goals, and he is just so confident. It's so funny. He Troy Terry is like Jose Batista, or if you're a baseball fan, uh, who's another guy like uh, Carlos Pena, where the flashes are there and you can kind of see that. Oh yeah, this is a good player. He's not a scrub, but maybe he just needs to put it all together and be consistent. Well. He's had his huge breakout this year, and he is just so confident. I mean, two of the goals he scored, and then not even not even on the plays that he scored on. He's just one man wrecking crew out there, just saying, putting his head down, getting the puck, you know, doing these crazy wrap rounds or like finding the lanes to shoot and sniping it, and just being in the right places. Gets off one timer, no look pass to Troy Terry. I mean, that was unbelievable. Every time Getzloff is going to get a point now. I'm just, I'm I might feel emotional a little bit. Because this is, these are the last few times I'm going to see Ryan Getzloff do what he does best. And that is pass the puck to goal scorers. So that was really cool. Um, it was just a weird game. Ducks won 6-4. to four, But it was just a really strange back and forth game. Anytime you have 10 goals in an NHL game, it's pretty pretty weird. But I thought the Ducks played a, played a very decent game against Columbus. There were just some really, really bad defensive breakdowns. Uh, bad, bad line change. Zegers had a lazy back check. So I thought Zegers, his defense, 
and his back checking was really good at the beginning of the season. And then it's kind of been tailing off lately. And um, it led to the easy goal by Jake Bean. Uh, the first goal by Jake Bean. He had two goals, which the second goal was another just really bad defensive breakdown. But, I mean, Zegers redeemed himself, though, just throwing the puck to the net to uh, Gary Mayhew. And, okay, why why is Gary Mayhew and, and Derek Grant playing with Zegers? Come on, Dallas. I mean, what what is that? Which, to be fair, Derek Grant has played a lot better lately. And he just, uh, I believe he set a career high in points and goals this year. So shout out to Derek Grant. Um, he had a really, really nice play where he just walked around the defender and then passed it over to a wide-open Zegers. He put it in the back of the net. And then Derek Grant also had a nice strip move, and he stole the puck and put it in the back of the empty net. And so, I mean, it, it was just a very strange game, but it was really nice to see all, all almost all the forwards uh, contribute and score in their own way, um, except, except Sam Steele. Sam Steele just had a really bad turnover. I think it was in the third period. I can't exactly remember. He just had a really bad turnover, trying to pass to the middle of the ice which in your own zone, which I don't know why you're doing that. And then it turned to an easy goal for Columbus. I'm just saying, I don't think Max Comtois would have done that, but we're going to be playing Sam Steele out there because Dallas Aikens reasons. And speaking of Dallas Aikens reasons, so there was a moment, I believe it was towards the end of the first period. I think that's when it happened. But... Um, Hazy and John Ollers were talking on the broadcast just very innocently about, a conver- about I guess, conversations they were having with Dallas Aikens, just kind of just shooting the breeze, I guess, while nothing was really going on in the game. And Hazy mentions a part where he asked Dallas, oh, okay, were there any, are there any rookies that have hit that rookie wall, or are there any young guys that hit the rookie wall? And then Dallas Aikens says Trevor Zegers, which, okay, that, that caught me by surprise, but... I mean, sure, he's had eight goals in the last five games, but okay. And, oh, and by the way, also, he tied Bobby Ryan for most points by a Ducks rookie in a single season, which I'm pretty sure he's going to break it, right? He's got, what, four games left or something like that, and he's at 51 points. I'm pretty sure he'll get to .52 and set a new record for most points by a Ducks rookie. But anyways, um, so he, he continues, right? Which Dallas Aiken saying that Trevor Zegers has hit a rookie wall, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? He could be right about that. I mean, he's the head coach, which I don't think he's a good head coach, but whatever. He's the head coach. He sees he sees these players way more than the fan will, right? So he says that, okay, Trevor Zegers has hit the rookie wall. And then he goes on. Hazy, I don't know why. Okay. I don't know why Hazy kept going on with this, but apparently Dallas Aiken said that, oh, Zegers looks frail out there. Or there are things off the ice going on, like he's shooting commercials. What commercials is he really shooting? He is he shooting the Olive commercial, the one where he just stands there, says his lines, and just does a few things and leaves? Or where he's shooting a a Bauer commercial on the beach in the off season, where they just set up a rink, give him a stick, and give him a puck out at, New, at Newport Beach or something, and then he just dangles around a goalie. I mean, how much effort is that? It's not like he's doing the it's not like he's doing the Kobe thing where he's jumping over an Aston Martin or jumping over a pit of snakes or something. Like it's not it's not really taxing stuff. Zegris, is he out there? Is he out in the media like partying and stuff and going to clubs? And if he is, like is it is it a big news story? I, I mean, is he like doing bad things off the ice? No. So don't criticize his off the ice. 
things. And then don't call him frail and weak and that he can't hold up. And I mean, I don't understand what, why you would say these things. Why would you say he looks worn down and he's tired? What? I don't understand how. And this goes with the news that they just they just uh, they're gonna pick up the option for Dallas Aikens, right? And everybody says he's a player's coach. Well, is that is that a player's coach? Is criticizing uh, your top two, one A, one B best player, the future, the or not the future face of the franchise, the face of the franchise? I'll say that right now. Zegers is the face of the Ducks. Is criticizing him now in a TV broadcast where he has no control over what you say? How is that fair to him? How is that being a player's coach? What kind of culture do you set when you're just criticizing players like that? And why can't you pump him up? I don't understand that. You can say, okay, Trevor Zegers has hit the rookie wall. But you know how you can motivate him and give him some positive reinforcement or something like that you can say okay he hit the rookie wall but just think about it next year he's going to be stronger and he's going to um gain gain some muscle right or or have a full off season to recover and then next year he's going to come out and he's going to be even better than he was this year which he's scoring 51 points why can't he score 70 points if he's 10 pounds stronger 15 pounds stronger he learns the system, right? He's, he's, he's gone over a full NHL season under his belt. He can only get better. So instead of, instead of trying to pump up his best player, he tears him down. And it's totally unfair to Zegers because he's out in the ice actually doing stuff and Aikens is just standing there behind the bench. But um, I don't understand this. Not too many people have been talking about this. CJ Woodling um, talked about it a little bit on Twitter as well. And then... Um, who else? I oh, and then MK ton th- ton thirty one. MK ton thirty one on Twitter is the only other person that I've really seen on Twitter that's been talking about this issue. So the Ducks won. They beat Columbus and all that, and that's fine and dandy. They're not gonna win anything. I want them to win now because of get because of Z- these are Getzloff's last few games. But hearing what Dallas Aiken said at the end of the first period of that game. I just, it was hard to watch the rest of the game, just knowing that, oh, that's our coach. And Randy Carlisle, right, he was really hard on rookies. It's been documented. But I don't remember Carlisle going to the media and saying those kind of things. Uh, he would definitely say that, oh, yeah, guys have hit a rookie wall. But will he, would he go delve further? No, to my knowledge, no. If, if he did at some point to the media, okay, you can show me and I'll be wrong and that's fine. But just to my knowledge, I've never heard a coach like that come out and say that, oh, yeah, my rookie superstar looks tired and looks frail out there. I mean, that is ridiculous. Players coach, though, right? But anyways, with the Ducks, I mean, all we have to do now is just watch it, appreciate the last few games that we have to witness greatness, witness Ryan Getzloff, and hopefully he can get a few more assists Maybe maybe in his last game he pulls a Kobe or something and he gets a hat trick in the first period like he did against Buffalo. I highly doubt that, but I just hope that Getzloff can just go out and play his best. And he looks he does look a little rejuvenated out there. I think the foot injury is pretty much gone now. But hopefully he can rack up a few more points. Hopefully the Ducks can get some more wins for him. I know with tanking and all of that for the draft lottery, blah blah blah. I don't care. They're gonna get a good pick regardless. And so yeah, just. 
taking in Ducks fans. This is the last few games of Ryan Getzloff's career, and we owe him everything. So thank you, Getzloff. Dallas Eakins, smarten up in the words of Don Cherry, which that's a whole other can of worms. But anyways, players coach, though, am I right? All right, let's get into the Angels. And I apologize that segment about the Ducks and Dallas Aikens with those comments about Zegers. I'm sorry, I got a little overboard, but still, though. Anyways, well, let's get into the Angels. So the Angels go to Texas. They go to Globe Life Park in Arlington, which is the, I guess you could still call it the new stadium, right, in Texas, down where the old ballpark used to be. And they take three out of four for the Texas Rangers. And so... Being an Angels fan, right, you're just you just get nervous every time they play an ALOS team. And especially with Texas with the upgrades they've made, right? You know, the, how much I don't know how many millions of dollars they spent on Marcus Simeon and and uh, Corey Seager, which by the way, Marcus Simeon, I kind of knew that that was going to be an overpay, but anyways, whatever. Um I didn't realize I didn't realize that their pitching though was still terrible. I guess really the only big acquisition they got was uh, John Gray, and he's on the IL right now with a blister. But wow, that Texas pitching is bad, and their fielding is not great. Is not that great either. You would think that a team that has like Simeon, Seager, Cole Calhoun, that they would be a good fielding team, but not really. That's it's kind of funny when you watch some teams that are fielding worse than the Angels, and then you go, oh hey, the the Angels aren't the only team that that do that kind of stuff but anyways um first game otani he wasn't hitching as much and uh, i i thought that was great um he had a double right down the line in that first game and then he wasn't he wasn't bailing out of the box right he wasn't having that weird happy feet that we that we kind of notice sometimes and then i he just he just looked more comfortable at the plate and of course we'll get into otani at the plate a little bit later but um that first game i mean who who is that that backup catcher? I, I already I already forgot his name, but man, that backup catcher just terrorized the Angels. He terrorized Otani. First first time he's had an 0-2 count and a guy hits a home run off him, and then it was a grand slam. Like what is that? That's unbelievable. And so, I mean, they weren't really meant to win that game, I guess. But another takeaway I could take away from that first game was that the bullpen. I mean, it is a cliff. So you have your elites in the in the pen, right? You have like your quote unquote your A team, which is right, Rysel Iglesias, uh, Loop, Tapera. Uh, you could put Archie Bradley in there as well. Maybe Warren, not so much yet, but it's a clear hierarchy right in the bullpen. And what I like about what Joe Madden is doing is that he doesn't really want guys in the bullpen to be pitching back to back games in like the first few weeks, which I understand that, right? Short spring training. But you can't be having it so set in your A bullpen and your B bullpen because at, at that point when the B bullpen guys come in, you're punting games because you have guys like Mike Myers coming in with his 33 ERA or um, Jaime Bria coming in and he's not looking good at all. And uh, Jimmy Hergit, which I think Hergit was a lot better today, but in the first few games he was terrible. And so there's just this clear hierarchy between the bullpen, and it is a far cliff between the A guys and the quote-unquote B guys. So, I don't know. They dropped that first one, but that's okay, because the second game, I mean, what 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 happened? Was, was that really real resiliency in this? 
it was so strange when Joe Madden goes out there and then he's intentionally walking Corey Seager with the bases loaded. I mean, what, what, what are you, what are you doing right there? What, is, is that Barry Bonds at the plate? Is that, I don't know, Ken Griffey Jr. or Babe Ruth? Like, I don't know, but. They intentionally walk Corey Seager with the bases loaded, and then there's a balk, which brings in a run, so it doesn't matter. And then another run comes in, so basically the runs that you were trying to prevent, they already came in. So I don't understand. I don't understand what Joe Madden does 99% of the time. He just does stuff just to do it, which, I mean, it it works out sometimes, but it definitely leaves your head scratching a lot. And so then they were they were just down like they gave it five runs that fourth inning and it was six to two and then you're just kind of thinking okay all right it's the angels right here we go again and um, they're gonna they're gonna drop another game and the best they can do is get a split against texas and then all of a sudden guess who hits guess who hits the home run and gets the rally starting kurt freaking suzuki so kurt suzuki has been a complete liability behind the plate worst defensive catcher i've probably ever seen in my life but Hey, this year at the plate though, he's actually he actually hasn't been that bad. I, he's hitting 250 and he has one home run, but he hasn't been terrible at the plate. And he hits a home run, and then you kind of you kind of just like golf clap and you kind of give a sarcastic a Bronx cheer, like, oh yeah, great job. And then all of a sudden the bats start going. And then what happens next? Shohei Otani hits two home runs, and then all of a sudden. The Angels, the Angels are winning, and it's a 9-6 to six game. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? And the Angels showed some resiliency. And I'm making a big deal about this because I feel like that's been the biggest problem with the, with the Angels. It, it has never been the... It has never been like a lack of player talent, which, sure, they're not a talent as talented as like Houston or... Uh, Milwaukee or the Dodgers, right? They don't have a ta- as talented of a roster as those. But is their roster the last few years is it on par with Pittsburgh or uh, Detroit, Baltimore? The last no, right? They on paper they should make the playoffs, but they just always have these mental mistakes, and all of a sudden after the intentional walk, the bats just came alive. They just started hitting the crap out of the ball. Jared Walsh hit had. Uh, home run in here as well. Joe Adele hit a freaking moonshot in this game. Joe, shout, shout out Joe Adele. He's improving a lot. But it, yeah, that game was just so strange. And it really did kind of set the tone, though, for the rest of the series because now the Angels, instead of thinking, oh, shucks, right, throw our hands up. Here we go again. We're going to lose. Now they think, oh, hey, we can come back after we just had five runs scored on us. And then they won the game. And so with the third game, I mean... It, it was the Noah Syndergaard show. It was the Thor show. He is just, I think he's reinvented himself as a pitcher. And after the game, he talked about how uh, I think he'll be confident, or to kind of quote in his words, that he thinks he'll be confident that he'll be hitting triple digits at some point during the season. But his fastball is sitting right now at 95, right? It's sitting at 94.8 or 94.7, right? Basically sitting at 95, which... For me, the velocity is fine. It's not like guys are really hitting the ball hard and it's getting lined out to the center to Mike Trout or getting lined out to Rendon or something like that, right? No, he's getting soft contact and it looks like he's pitching to contact more. 
that first game against Houston, right, he had a lot of ground ball outs, and it looked like a sinker baller pitcher. And, yeah, sure, it's unconventional. He only had one strikeout. You're not used to seeing those kind of things from Thor. But, hey, if you can get quick outs, especially nowadays, that's great. And then in this game, he, instead of getting a lot of ground ball outs, he was getting a lot of pop outs. And so I'm fine with it, right? As long as you're not giving up runs, who cares? Um, he did have a few more strikeouts. He had four strikeouts in this game. Did give up two earned runs in that third inning, which this was a very common trend in this game. So the Angels, right, they jump up in the top of the third. They jump out to a 3 nothing lead. Otani hits a tank. Uh, yeah, I believe that was. No, was that later? I can't remember. But they jump out to a 3 nothing lead. And then they give up two runs in the bottom of the third. And if you look at this Texas series, this happened every single game where they score some runs in one inning, and then immediately in the in the bottom half of that inning, they give up at least one run. Now, it didn't happen every time they scored, obviously, but it happened in every game enough to where you kind of look at that and you say, oh, that's interesting. There's a little bit of a trend there. And I think that's where the mental aspects, like the mental problems really kick in for the Angels, is that they can't put away a team because they think to themselves, okay, hey, our big offense is going right. We just scored three runs. And then now we can relax, right? We're up three runs, we're up four runs, whatever, two runs. We jump up to a two-nothing lead, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're, it, the deficit is now two to one, or it's tied, or now the other team is winning. And then you just say, oh man, oh crap, what happened? You know, woe is me, this is happening again, blah, blah, blah. And then I think that just really messes with their psyche. So, anyways, that's just something that I really thought has been a problem with the angels and it's why they can't close out teams and why they struggle in big moments it's just that they get down on themselves too quickly or they put they take a lead and they put their foot off the gas when they're pitching and their defense hasn't been great in the last few years so i don't know those are just some things that i've kind of just put together um but the game on saturday on the 16th i mean that was just that was just incredible. A great pitching performance from Thor. Got the quality. Got the win for my fantasy team, which is the most important thing. And, yeah, just really couldn't have asked for more, though. And then uh, the Easter game on the 17th. Another, another, strange, another strange game. This is how, this would highlight to me how bad Texas pitching is. So the Angels, uh, they have Jose Suarez pitching, which Jose Suarez, I... I don't know. I don't I don't think he's that great. I think that Jose Suarez is really just another pitcher that comes off of the Jaime Berea, Sean O'Sullivan, the Matt Palmer, or um, the Jerome Williams kind of mold, or Parker Bridwell, right? Where they're these random kind of like journeyman-esh pitchers, and I know Suarez is a younger guy, but... They just kind of come up through the minors or whatever randomly, and then they have like a season or a half season of success, but you don't know why, right? They don't have, they don't have overpowering velocity. They don't have like a really nasty pitch, or they're not like painting the corners all the time, right? They're just like a very below average pitcher, but then for some some strange reason, somehow, some way, they get through it, and they're not a total disaster on the mound. That's what I think Jose Suarez is, and. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is he going to be starting the whole season? I doubt it. I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted the Angels to get an established pitcher because as great as Thor has been this year, I mean, he was still a huge question mark going into the season, right? And he still is, I think, a question mark. You 
still kind of cringe and you still kind of are worried sometimes about his health and is he going to be able to hold up the whole season? Same thing with Sandoval. Same thing with Detmers. So, I don't know. I think they should have got a, um, an established starting pitcher. Maybe they should have kept a guy like Alex Cobb or, for heavens, tried to bring back Andrew Heaney, which, by the way, when he went to the Dodgers, I knew he was going to be pretty good, which... Heaney's always been really inconsistent, so we'll see how he does after his two really good starts. But it's not shocking to me that he's doing well in L.A. But this is just a strange game. I mean, Suarez didn't pitch great, but the Angels, the offense. So they're leading the league in home runs right now, which is pretty incredible when you consider the fact that it took Trout and Otani forever to hit their first home runs. But they didn't hit a single home run, though, on this Easter game. And everything was just completely small ball right single single singles mike trout getting a hustle double and driving in runs otani scoring on a wild pitch in the first inning just being opportunistic and wrecking havoc on the base pass i mean huge shout out to tyler wade so he's getting more at bats uh, obviously with david fletcher going down with his hip injury and while tyler wade i think he's a little too reckless at times you need that though you need a guy who is aggressive on the base pass and that's something that the angels have really not had in a long time because it used to be trout right but with all of trout's injuries injury history you don't really want him to be going out there and risking his body on stolen bases and stuff but he's still fast man mike trout still has those wheels especially on that double but more importantly about Mike Trout, so I can't remember what inning it was, but he was hit on the hand. Oh, it was in the fifth inning. So Mike Trout was hit hit on the hand in the fifth inning. It was on his left hand. Uh, there was a slider thrown to him by a left-handed pitcher, or no right, no yeah right-handed pitcher, and it just it didn't really cut in weird, and they had like that weird shadow that was in front of home plate, and so you know it's really hard for the hitter to see the ball sometimes, right? Uh, last second, it just comes at you. And you could tell that Trout had no idea where that ball was going to go. And then he tries to very at the last minute get out of the way. But then while he gets out of the way, the ball hits off his left hand. And it was an 81-mile-an-hour slider, and he was, he was in a lot of pain. You knew he wasn't going to stay in the game and he was going to go out. Which, given his injury history, that's fine. But during the game, I think it was in the eighth inning, uh, the news came out that the x-rays were negative. So thank the baseball gods. I mean... If Mike Trout was injured again for a significant amount of time, at this point, I don't know. We had to like sacrifice a goat or bring some sage or something to the Angel Stadium because then this team is cursed. But thankfully, the x-rays are negative on Mike Trout. And at that point when he got injured, they, I know the Angels were winning. But I was like, I don't care. Just, you know, if you guys get the win today, that's great. But I care first and foremost about the health of Mike Trout. And the Angels blasted the Rangers really bad pitching. The Angels won 8-3. to But... I'm just so glad that the x-rays were negative. Uh, I don't think Trout is going to play tomorrow in Houston. I just I don't see it. Uh, I actually thought that him or Otani should have gotten a day off today, just considering you know, you're going tomorrow, right, in a series with Houston, and you don't, ha you don't have a day off between the series. Short travel, but I think that you're going to need your best players for that series. And so then I guess Trout will get his day off tomorrow, and then maybe hopefully he plays on Tuesday. I'm not 100% sure about that, but... If he takes, uh, if he takes two games off, I mean that's fine. They're probably not going to beat Houston over there anyway. But I'm just glad that the X-rays are negative. But the last thing I want to talk about, talk about the Angels, and I know I'm going a little bit long here, but Taylor Ward came off the IL, and in his first game, he socks a home run. And so 
now the Angels have this really strange log long log jam in the outfield with Taylor Ward, Mike Trout. Uh, well, yeah, I guess yeah, Taylor Ward, Mike Trout, uh, Brandon Marsh, and Joe Adele, and which I guess you could say that Trout's Trout missing a game or two wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because now you can play the other three guys, but it, it's it's interesting because Taylor Ward is two games ever since he's been back from the IL. He's hit the ground running, right? He's hitting the ball. And so now you kind of wonder, what, what do we do? So I think Brandon Marsh should be hitting every day, right? I've been, mar- I've been banging the drum on the Marsh leadoff train before almost, I think before almost everybody else has. I sent out that tweet. It's pinned on, it's pinned at Catelicast Show that Brandon Marsh or Joe Adele should be the leadoff hitter. And that was like five hours before game two. But so I think Brandon Marsh, you can't take him out of the lineup. And maybe you can platoon, try to platoon Taylor Ward and Joe Adele because Taylor Ward's, Taylor Ward's been hitting the ball. If he came back from the IL and wasn't doing much, wasn't contributing, then, okay, yeah, you'd put Joe Adele out there. But now it's a, it's a dilemma because the only way to get those inconsistencies out of Joe Adele and to get him in the groove and to get him consistent is to give him at-bats every day, is to get him reps out in the outfield every single day. So I don't know. Do they trade one of them for, I don't know, a guy like Tyler Malley, who I think the Angels should absolutely have traded for in the offseason? We'll see. But it's going to be a confusing time. I think that it's going to definitely be a battle between Ward and Adele because I think you need to play Marsh no matter what. Obviously, you're not going to take out Trout unless he's injured. But if they traded, say, Taylor Ward and next year's first round pick or something like that for Malley or Taylor Ward and a prospect for Tyler Malley. I'd be all over that. Even if they traded Joe Adele for Tyler Malley, I would be all for that. Please, Perry, please, please, please trade for Tyler Malley or just try to solve this strange outfield log jam because I mean, it's going, it's going to be weird in the clubhouse eventually. And especially, you know, how close Marsh and Adele are, you know that they want to play with each other. But Taylor Ward is kind of making that hard because he's hitting the ball. He's contributing. He's not messing up in the field. But at least you could say the Angels have great outfield depth, right? Like if Trout, I mean, I hope not, but say if Trout misses five games or something like that, right? Well, then your outfield, you just roll in with um, Ward or probably Adele in left, uh, which... Yeah, Adele in left, Marsh in center, and then Ward in right field. And that's still that's still a solid outfield, in my opinion. That's not the worst outfield in the world. So it, it'll just be interesting. I hope the Angels can figure this out. I hope a trade is in order or something. I don't know. I just I don't think that I don't think you can be ha- you can be having Taylor Ward, Joe Adele, and Brandon Marsh for the whole season. I think that at the end of the day, you need to just let the kids play. Let Adele eventually take over from Taylor Ward and try to get something in return. Send an, send an all-in package for Tyler Malley. Please, 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 please. He's from Newport Beach. It only makes sense. You've hung on to guys like Jose Rojas for way too long just because he's from, he's from Anaheim. Well, bring in a good pitcher who happens to be from Orange County. So that's my little soapbox, I guess, on Tyler Malley. But hey, the Angels, uh, they are in first place. So... Take that for what it's worth. They're going to be playing the Houston Astros. Not too confident about the series, but hey, it's a good start to the season. 
And uh, if they can just if they can just win one one game out of this Houston series, that's fine with me. That's all I can really ask for. It's way too early in the season to be looking at the standings and scrutinizing everything. But hey, you know what? Uh, this Angels team, I've seen worse starts out of the gate, and so if they could just win one game against Houston, that's all. That's all I can really ask for. So thank everybody for listening. Uh, once again, please follow the show on Twitter. That's at Catelacast Show. Again, that's at Catelacast Show. Please comment, like, share, download, tell your friends about the show, uh, leave a rating, please, five stars only. Again, we are available on all platforms. Thank you so much for listening to the Catelacast. I'll see you in the next episode.